This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Tonight we're going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. And just, just know, family, that, that, that we need the Lord. We, we need the Lord. He, he is not optional. He, he, in Him we live, we move, we have our very existence. Life. Life is in Him. Outside of Him there is no life. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own worlds, in our own dramas, in our own circumstances, that we forget that it is in Him that we have our very being. That we, 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 we think that we can make change on our own. We think that we can, we can turn things around by our own strength. But it's only in God that there is life. It is only in Him. He is the author of life. He is the sustainer of life. And He's the giver of life everlasting. It's only in Him. We need the Lord, church. We need the Lord. Forsake not our God and His benefits. In Matthew chapter 25, we've been teaching about the call to stewardship. And it seemed as though that that there were some some parts where I wanted to push further and and God just kind of held back. And I think it's because he knew that that this was a message that was needed for today. That this this was the message that was needed for this time. Because we hear a lot of pulls and a lot of cries and a lot of horns that are sounding and a lot of trumpets are blasting but the people of God we cannot afford to take heed to an uncertain sound we have to hear the voice of God and hear what he is calling us to we have to hear what what is the Lord calling his people to his servants because if, as a servant of God, you can only be effective in what the Master has commanded. You can't go off script and try and use somebody else's blueprint. As a servant of God, you can only be effective in what the Master has commanded. And so we've been learning about the call to stewardship, about what God has called us to, in terms of organizing and utilizing all of the resources that have been given to us for the glory of God, recognizing that He is the provider. That we have a responsibility to, to be a manager of those resources. That, that we can't just take for granted what God has given us. That we can't be neglectful in what God has given us or wasteful in what God has given us. That we can't be envious, saying, well, I wish I had what somebody else had. But God has given you exactly what you need to be effective in this time. We're going to talk about, about 
fear later on, just to kind of peek my hand a little bit. And a lot of times people, they, they, they become fearful because they, they believe that they are overshadowed by something that is more powerful than they are. And that causes them to act in desperation. But just know that what God has given you, what he has placed in your hands to manage, that that is what is needful, that is what is the most beneficial for this time. He knew that this time would come, and he has given you what is needful for this nation at this time. The call to stewardship. We talked about how, how God how, how he placed his man in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. And we said that the garden, the garden itself, it came from God. That the resources came from God. We said that God, he was responsible for making the ground to be fruitful and to be profitable. And that God was responsible for placing the man after he had established the resources. After he had set the system in place for the resources to be profitable, then... Then he placed the man in the garden, and his instruction was to dress it and to keep it. Was just to dress it and to keep it, to maintain, to hold fast to what had already been established. And this is what stewardship is. We said before that, that a, steward, a steward is not judged according to their own merits. As, as a steward, you have to be a, a servant. And a servant is not judged according to their own merits. They're not judged according to their own station. They're not judged according to, to their own appearances. The only criteria for judging a servant, a servant is how he obeys to his master's commands. That's, that's how we judge the servant. By his obedience to his master's commands. So listen, I know, I know some of you feel overwhelmed by what God has called you to. You feel as though it's greater than you can even imagine. But just know that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about what you think you can do. It's not about what you think you can put your hands on. The servant is only judged according to his obedience to his master's commands. We said that a servant is judged by his obedience, by his faithfulness, and by his diligence. He's judged by how he has placed himself under the spoken command. He's judged by his, his trustworthiness, his truthfulness, his ability to be relied on. That a servant is judged by his diligence. That's his, his thoughtful effort that's directed towards effectiveness. That the servant, he's given the responsibility and they're, they're, he has an option to choose to obey. To choose to use the master's resources according to the master's desires. But guess what? He could also choose to use them according to his own desires. The servant is judged by his diligence by how he thoughtfully makes effort so that his, every work is most effective. 
that every work is most effective. The servant recognizes that their life and their goods, that the, that's what's been placed in their hands, is not for their own benefit, but it's for the master's benefit. The servant cares not for his own, but seeks the master's pleasure. That's, that's so hard for us to grasp, I know, in this, in this society, this American society. But the servant cares not for his own, but he seeks the master's desire. What, what is pleasing unto the master? That's what, that's what he commits himself to. We said that in stewardship, that, that stewardship is not something that you get to, you get to choose. That you get to choose what, what's going to be placed into your hands, what's going to be placed into your life. That, that you know what, you, you, get, you get to choose the, the job that you, that you select. You, you interview for that job. You ask for that job. But once you've been hired, the work that's given to you, that's not your choice. Somebody else gives you the, the work assignments. That now you have to be a steward over what you've been given. That in your marriage, yes, you, you pursued her. You made, you, made, you made sure that he knew you were available. And you all both said, I do. You agreed to the marriage covenant. But now that you're in the marriage, guess what? There's some things that you didn't know were going to come up. Now it's time for stewardship. Now it's time to effectively manage what you've been given for the glory of the Master. Even, even with children. You know, some of us, we, we, we desire to have, you know, these, these children. We said when we were younger, we'll have, we'll have six, we'll have ten. It's because we didn't know. We didn't know. God, God gave you that one, and that one is more, it's more than enough. Your quiver is full. You chose to have those children, but guess what? Now that they're here, raising those children, producing the godly seed, that's your stewardship. That's your stewardship. The, the, those children are not your possessions. They belong to the Lord, but they're your work. They're your work. To put them in a position to, to help to mature, to bring them to a place where they can be most effective for the kingdom of God. We're going to see that the servants that they were given, they were, they were given the resources according to their ability. So God, God knew, God knew what you could handle. God knew what you could handle. He said, I don't understand that. I feel like I'm over my head. I feel like, like it, it's way too much. God knew what you could handle. Not in your own strength, but on your knees. He knew what you could handle as you submitted yourself to him and allowed the Holy Spirit to work through you. He knew what you could handle as you submitted yourself to him. Beyond even your own understanding. Beyond even your own comprehension. And allowed the Holy Spirit to work through you. God knew according to your abilities. 
He said that a steward, that, that they have to be accountable for what's been given to them. They can't be afraid to, to, to respond to questions. They can't, be, they can't be so prideful that they won't give an account of their stewardship. We said that in Scripture, God continually is asking His servants. You see questions upon questions upon questions. And that the, the reason for the questions is not to condemn you. These are not accusations. But the reason for the question is to reveal your condition. It's to reveal where you are. It's to reveal the work that is needed. The work that has gone undone. Last week I asked you to, to examine yourself. To look at where where's God placed you? God placed Adam in the garden. The place that, that God himself had established. That he had ordered to be fruitful. And instead of being where, where, where God had placed him, Adam chose to hide himself. Because of his disobedience. And so we asked you to question yourself. It says, where, where has God placed you? We said, think about it in terms of the, the place, the location, your geography. Think about it in terms of your, your position. Are you in a place where, where God can, can make the most benefit for, of you? Where, where the kingdom can be built up through your efforts? Are you in the, in the role where God has placed you? He said, consider your, your, your position as, as a parent, as a child, as an employee, as, as, a, as a member of this local church. Are you, are you where you can be most effective for the kingdom of God? We said that if you find out that you're, that you're not, If you find out that you're not, that, that, you, that you're kind of there, but you're kind of not, that it's, it's going to require, in some cases, physical relocation. In some cases, it's going to require a pulling away from your distractions. A pulling away from your distractions. God knew who, who we were and what we needed at this time. Pulling away from your distractions. We said also you need to ask yourself, what is, what is the work that God has given to you? When Adam was placed in a garden, God gave him work. He says, what is the work that God has given to you? We said, if, if you have not yet confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that that's the first work. That is the first work, is to believe on Jesus Christ unto salvation. To believe on Je that that is the first. You know, a lot of times we believe that because things happen in our lives, that 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 is 
God push, pushing us into a, a direction. We believe that because opportunities become available to us, that that's God's hand at work. But just know that if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that those things that are coming into your life, those opportunities that are opening up for you, that those things are not the first work. That's not what God is saying to you first. God is not saying make a million and then come into the kingdom. God is not saying get a husband and then you can be settled into a church. God is not saying when you have that first child, then I can bring you to the place where I can use you. No, no. The first work, the first work is to believe on Jesus Christ and to salvation. And having, having believed, many of you say that, that, I, that I have believed. Well, having believed, have you continued to believe? Because it, the scripture tells us that whosoever believeth on him, who, whoever continues to believe on him, that they will not be ashamed. And we'll talk some more about that. Go to Matthew chapter 25. You should already be there. We're going to start with verse 14. And it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. You know what I like about verse 14 is, is that it establishes, it sets the scene. It sets the context. It says that, look, this is, this is a parable that's going to help you to understand the kingdom of heaven. To help you to understand the kingdom of heaven. When we say a parable, what's a parable? A parable is a natural example that helps to reveal a spiritual truth. A parable is a natural example that, that helps to reveal a spiritual truth. God is, God is taking you from what you do understand to those things that, that, that are beyond your comprehension. In John chapter 3, we see how Jesus, in, in, in teaching Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 12, he says, If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things. He says that if, if I've told you of these things in the natural and you're having a hard time with them, how can I then go on even further to, to explain to you those things that are spiritual? The Word of God is built line upon line, precept upon precept. We said that truth, that He is truth, and truth never contradicts itself. You know, anybody that, that desires to learn, anyone that desires to learn, the first thing that they have to do is they have to come to a realization that they have a need to learn. If you desire to learn, you have to realize that, you know what, I don't know everything. There are some things that I do not know. 
I have a need, I have a deficit in this particular area. And Nicodemus, he was a rabbi, but he came to Jesus because he said, Jesus, I have a deficit in understanding what I need to do in order to inherit eternal life. And it appears as though you have an abundance of understanding and I need to learn from you. Nicodemus, even though he was a, a teacher of the law, he realized that he still had need of instruction. The thing is, is that having sought out the instruction, this is how we get, having sought out the instruction, Nicodemus struggled with receiving it. He, this is Nicodemus, he's coming to Jesus saying, look, there's something that I don't know. And Jesus gives them insight and he says, are you sure about that? You know, a lot of times we, we minister to, to, to those that, that, are, that are seeking to have a deeper relationship with the Lord. That, that, that are trying to move beyond where they are. And we say, well, just sit and listen. Just sit and listen. And they, the response is, are you sure about that? Are, are, are you sure that's, that's, that's all? I, I just need to sit and listen? Are you sure about that? And I just love Jesus. He, he doesn't lose patience with him, but he says, look, I'm trying to give you this example. I'm trying to break it down so that you can understand it. Stay with me in the natural so that we can go on to the spiritual. Stay with me in the, in the, the, the smallest things. Because how can you go on to do great works from God if you won't just sit and listen? If you won't hear the words of instruction. How can you be a faithful servant if you have no idea what the master's desires are? And so in having sought out instruction, Nicodemus, he struggled with receiving the instruction. Now, the role of the instructor is to reveal that which is currently hidden. The role of the instructor now listen, Jesus already knew what it took to inherit eternal life. He wasn't saying this for his own benefit. The, role of, the, 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 the teacher already knows the material. They've already studied the material. It's already impacted their lives. They're teaching you because their, their role is to reveal what is currently hidden to you. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a very purposeful way that instruction goes forth. A very purposeful way that instruction goes first. What the teacher does, the instructor, they, they build on what you do know. They build on what you do know, what you can comprehend, in order to prepare you for what you need to know. They build on what you can accept to what you can comprehend to prepare you for that which you currently have no idea about. You know, there, there are things that God is trying to do in our lives that we have no idea about. 
there's areas where God wants to use us that we cannot begin to comprehend. And what he's doing, what God is doing is he's taking us and he's saying, well, demonstrate faithfulness in the smallest things. Demonstrate faithfulness in what you do know. And I'm going to give you so much more than you could even comprehend. Than what you could even comprehend. So now, once the instructor is doing their job, now it comes back to you. Nicodemus then had to choose. He had to choose to receive the instruction. He had, the, the, the choice was on him. Once the truth has been revealed, now you have to make a choice. Once the truth has been declared, you can no longer, de- you can no longer declare, you can't, you can't lean on ignorance. You can't claim that, you're, that you didn't know, that you were not aware. You, you heard the truth declared unto you. Now you can't, you can't claim ignorance anymore. Once the word has been declared, now you are accountable. Now you are accountable for the truth that has been revealed to you. Now you are accountable for the truth that has been revealed to you. It talks about in scriptures how how Abraham, how he was faithful to the Lord and that he walked in the light of the revelation that he had. He didn't have the entire revelation, but what he did have, that he walked in. What he did have, that, that he trusted in. Christ had not come yet, but it says of Abraham that he was counted, that Abraham was counted as righteous. That he was, that, that, that in heaven, Abraham has his place among those that are redeemed. Because in what was revealed to him, that he was faithful to that. That he walked in what was revealed, in the light that he had. And so once, once, once the truth has been declared, now you're accountable. You're accountable to it. What happens so many times is that we hear truth, we hear truth, we hear truth. And we get so used to our distractions. We get so caught up with our, our, our cares. And what's happening in the moment. That suddenly, we don't even know, we can't even tell truth if it's right in front of us. In Isaiah chapter 6. This is Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah's a prophet of God. He's, he's had a, a, a revelation of the Lord that, that, that he hadn't had before. That God is, God is making a change in his life because God wants to make a change in the nation. When God wants to make a change in the nation, God makes, first makes a change in the lives of his servants. When God wants to make a change in our society, first he makes a change in you. So God is desiring a change in a nation. And Isaiah has this revelation. And now he wants to go out. But there's a complication because he's trying to give instruction. But God knows that the people, the hearts, 
that they, they've heard truth and ignored truth for so long. Go to, so go to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. He says, And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their eyes heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. He said, when, when, we, when we willfully choose to ignore the truth that has been declared, we are as the nation that sees but sees not, that hears but hears not. Because what's happened is that our, our, our hearts, our hearts have become, they become congested. Our arteries are clogged. We are, we are not able to function as God would have us to function. Because if we, if we did hear, if we did see, if we allowed our hearts to be cleaned out, then we would be, then we would be healed. Then our land would be healed. So look, the warning is given. When the truth is declared... Take it as a warning because the warning is given because judgment is going to come. When truth is being declared, don't make light of it, but take it very seriously because it's, it's the declaration is now counted as a warning. And we know that the warning is only given because judgment will come. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, you can write it down, it says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, where he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. And we know that that man is Jesus Christ, that the Lord is going to judge the world according to the standard of righteousness. He didn't say he was just going to judge the church. He didn't just say he was just going to judge your house, but he's going to judge the, the world according to the standard of righteousness. That's why we have to respond to the call. To, we have to respond to the call to stewardship to declare the truth of God's love. Go back to Matthew chapter 25. Let's, 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 let's dig into this because this parable is given. I, want you to, I don't want you to lose track of it. This parable is given so, so that you could understand based on what's in the natural that which is in the spiritual. It says in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants, and del delivered unto them his goods. So whose servants are they? The servants are the master's servants. Whose goods are they? The goods are the master's goods. He has called his own and given them from his own. And he gave and unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So one of the things that we need to understand about, about what the master has given is that 
in, in some um, dictionaries, they, they talk about talents, and they, they could be of gold or of silver, but you know, one, one common measurement is that a talent, one talent, is equal to 15 years of wages. Just, just one talent is equal to 15. So listen, help me out with the math here, you guys. 15 times 5 talents, that's, that's what, 75? 75 years worth of wages that he gave to one of his servants. To the other servant, he gave two talents. That's, that's still 30 years. That's 30 years worth of wages. Many of you, if you had 30 years worth of wages, you wouldn't go to work another day in your life. And, and I say that because a lot of people, they say, well, the guy that just had one talent, he, he only received a meager amount. But guess what? One talent, that's 15 years worth of wages. That's, that, is, that is the work of 15 people at his disposal for a whole year. So listen, what, none of these people receive a meager sum. They all receive more than, more than, they receive from the Master more than they could themselves have gathered in. Catch that. All these, the Master gave them more than they could have gathered in themselves. And some of you are so busy trying to make it happen, trying to, trying to pile up the stacks and to, and to do it all on your own. When what the Master has for you is way more, so much more, than you can bring in on your own. Even at the one talent, so much more than he could have brought. I mean, some of you can't even save a month's salary. You can't even put together a $1,000 emergency fund. And here it is, the Master has given him... 15 years worth of wages. And we say that, we say that, that, that God is not good, that, 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 God, is, that God is meager, that he's, that he's stingy. But He's given you access to eternal life. He's given you access to healing. He's given you access to peace. So much more than you could have achieved on your own. So much more than you could have achieved on your own. When you came, you knew that you were in need of a Savior. You said, Lord, rescue me because I can't do it alone. I can't do it, I can't do it by myself. And He brought you in. And the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ. And you say, oh, you know, we, we have so little. We have so little. God has given you so much more. So much more than you could have ever hoped to achieve on your own. So that's the talents. Get it, get it straight about the talents. Get it straight about the talents. Go to verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth 
and hid his Lord's money. So what we see with the, with the, with the good servants, what they do, they, they, immediately, they immediately set themselves to work in trading. They set themselves to work in trading. And this is where a lot of, a lot of the religious people, where they, where, they, where they miss it. They have received what God has given to them, but they think that it's beneath them to trade. Now, what do you mean by trade? What is trade? Trade involves an exchange. Typically, trade involves exchanging value. It involves exchanging work. It, it means expending resources, exchanging desire for usefulness. Now, let me give it to you in a natural. Your, your, your employers, in most cases, your employers, they desire to bring in more money. That's what their desire is. What you have is you have time. And so you trade your time, you give them your time so that they can make more money. I know, you thought that you were working for money. But that's not what, that's not what your employer thinks. Your employer does not think that you're working for money. Your employer thinks that you are working to make them more money. And you know how you know it's true? Look at what the CEO of your company makes versus what you're paid. Look at what the annual revenues of your company are versus what your household budget is. And then you'll, then you'll understand the truth. You're making an exchange. They have a desire. You have a resource. It's an exchange. Trade involves an exchange. Trade involves going out to those that need. With your abundance and giving of your abundance to those that have need. See, that, that's, that's, that's where we lose it. That's where we lose it. It's because we say, you know what? I love God. I love the Word. I just love the Bible study. I want to sit around with Christians all day long and just talk about how good God is. But, but you forgot about the trade. You forgot about the trade. You have an abundance. And there are those that have a need, that have a deficit, that have no comprehension, they have no understanding of the love of God, of His faithfulness, of His promises. So we, we need to be as those that, that go out and we engage ourselves in trade. That You know, a lot of times when you go out to trade, you find that, that, that you're not trading with, 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 with family members. You're not trading with people that are just like you. When you're trading, you're, you're trading with people that actually are not like you, that don't have access to your same resources, that don't have access to your same connections. They don't even look like you. They don't act like you. They don't talk like you. But they have a need. They have a need. You know how I, how I know that that's how trading works? Because God so loved the world that he engaged in a trade. He engaged in an exchange. He took our sin and clothed us with righteousness. 
And when he came, he was not at all like us. He may have been of no great appearance, but intrinsically of who he really was, he was always holy. God, God came to those that were outside, that were castaways, that were regarded as being worth nothing. And he made an exchange. He says, I'll, 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 take, your, I'll take your sin. I'll take your sin. And I'll give you righteousness. So these, the good servants, they, they were involved in trading. They were involved in the exchange. Trade involves reaching those that desire to be in a different position. They realize they have need of instruction. And they're looking for a teacher. They're, they're saying, who will declare? Who will declare the word of the Lord? Who can help in my distress? Who has the answer to my fears? So Matthew chapter 25. The lazy servant, he went and he, 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 uh, he, took, he took what God gave him. He took what the master gave him. And he sat that, he put it in that big Bible on the coffee table and put it in the drawer. And that, that's, that's as far as it went. It, it, only, it only comes out at Christmas and Easter, Maybe. They don't always do that anymore. We don't always read the word of God at those special occasions that are supposed to, to mark his birth and his resurrection. We, we get so busy with everything else that we, that we forget to retell the stories. We, we get so, so, so callous in our minds that, that, that we forget our, our responsibility to retell promises so that the next generation can hear and so that we can also be reminded because that aids in our diligence verse 19 after a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckon with them he's going to hold them to account and so he that received five talents and came and brought other five talents saying Lord thou deliveredest Unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You know, this, this scripture is, is so powerful. God is trying to use this, this natural example to teach you about the kingdom of God. Now listen, nobody was left out with, with, with little. They all received much more than they could have achieved on their own. And a lot of times, 
in ministry, we get so caught up and enamored with our words and our appearances that we say, God, look at what I've done. Look at how I've expanded what you've given unto me. The, the, the master, he came back to the service, the one with the five and the one with the two. He said, you know what? You, you did good with what was given unto you. You did good. But, but guess what? He wasn't, he, he wasn't captured. He wasn't, he wasn't ruled by, by what they had given. He gave them a reward that far exceeded the reward that he gave them far exceeded what they had gained in trade. He says, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. He says, You know, this, this thing that I've given to you, that's so much more than you could have achieved on your own. And you put your hands to the work, and you made it beneficial, and you made it profitable. But guess what? The, what, what, what you have now, even what you have now, I consider that a few things, a few things. But because you've been faithful over the little things, the smallest things, now I'm going to make you ruler because you've been a slave, a diligent servant over a few things. I'm going to make you a ruler over many things. I just wonder, what does the master consider to be many if, if, if what he gave them, he says, you know what, it's, it's far beyond your own lifetime to comprehend. If what he's already given is far beyond our lifetime to comprehend. But he says, you know what, even that is a small thing. What is, what is, what is many? What is many? What does he consider to be great? Ask yourself, what does God consider to be great? Because, because what he's given to me, what he's blessed me with, it's overwhelming to me. I can't believe he's been so good. But he says, you know what, Ronald? Guess what? Guess what? You're doing good with what I gave you, but there's so much more that I want to show you. There's so, the, the glory is so much more than you can even imagine. Many of us, we need to, we need to, we need to place our hopes as God... I want to be faithful over the few, God. Thank you. Thank you so much for the few. Stop, stop thinking about the natural. I'm so thankful for the few. But my, my hope is in, is, in, is in the many, in the, that, that eventual reward. Go to verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, weeping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not straw. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. I'm giving you back what you gave me. And the Lord said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, you, you disobedient and lazy, Servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I where I have not straw. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. He says, "You should have you should have known that I'm in the business of trade, that I'm in the business of exchange." 
And exchange doesn't happen around the homestead. Exchange doesn't happen inside of four walls. That, that my business is about going out to those that have a need. You know that the kingdom must go forth. You, you, you could have you at least put my money to, to its most basic. You could have used, used the resources in, their, mo, in those, their most basic sense. You could, you could have done just the smallest thing. You could have done just the smallest thing. But instead you were wicked, you were disobedient, and you were slothful, you were, you were lazy. We see that the servant, he's crippled by fear. Thank you, Lord. This is where I want it to be, that the servant, he's crippled by fear. This word fear is, is phobos in, in the Greek. It's where we get our term phobia, things that we are afraid of. It has very, very, uh, various uh, shades of meaning. It can mean panic. It can mean flight. It can mean terror. But also it can mean reverence. So the servant, he's crippled by fear. You know, there's, there's a fear that leads to action. There's a fear that leads to action. This is what we call reverence. There's a fear that leads to action. It's, 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 it's knowing that... Now, fear is based on an expectation of what's going to happen in the future. Fear is based on the promises that you've been given and what you have committed yourself to. This is, this is what I believe is going to happen. I knew in the summertime that I needed to have a certain amount of work done in the house before my mother got home. And I knew exactly when she was going to get home. I knew it down to the minute because it was, I was afraid. But that fear motivated me to action. Because I, I knew, well, I know, wait a second, I'm looking at the, it's, it's about time. I need to make sure that I have done those things that are required of me. Because there is a certain promise that if those things are not done, that judgment will come. That judgment will come. You know, reverence, that's, that's what we call honor. Reverence is what we call honor. It's, it's, it's admiration. You know, a lot of times you all hear me talking about my mother, and it's not, it's not that, that, I, that I, I talk about her as though she was uh, someone that, 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 that I was, um, I guess, afraid of, like in terror of. But there was, there was an honor because of the discipline that she insisted on. It was three against one. She insisted upon a discipline. There's an admiration that I have for her. A, a respect that I have for her. That's, that's what reverence is. It's honor. It's admiration. It's respect. When you, when you hear me talking about our, our, our pastor, Pastor Alva here, there's, there's an admiration. There's an honor. There's a respect. In Proverbs chapter 1, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
fear, fear, there is, there is fear that, that leads to action. But you know, there's, there's also another type of fear when we talk about being afraid. And that, that's what leads to, to hiding. That fear is based on shame. That fear is based on shame. Shame is a powerful emotion. And it's caused by the consciousness of guilt. Knowing your shortcomings and knowing what your improprietor is. That, that, that's, that's where shame comes from. Is, is you know what the master's command was. And you were conscious of your guilt. You are conscious of your shortcoming. And you're conscious of your impropriety. You know that there are things in your life that God is not pleased with. But you're not, you're not ready to let those go. You're not ready to put those things away. You haven't chosen to be in the place where God has called you to be. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10 verse 10. It says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saying, Whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. That, there, that you will not have this consciousness of your shortcomings, of your impropriety, of your guilt. Because of your believing. You're believing on him. On his promises. In 2 Timothy it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It says, Be thou therefore, be not thou therefore ashamed. Because God has not given us fear, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. God, God wants to show his power in the lives of his people. But we, we have to, we got to get past our shame. We have to get past our shame. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. Perfect love Casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. You saying, what, brother, brother, why are you talking about fear so much? Just because I believe that right now that, that there are many in this ministry, there are many that are watching this live stream that, there, that there's there's a fear. There's a fear in your hearts. There's a fear in your homes, because you believe that what is on the outside. Is going to overtake you. That you believe that you will be overcome by those things that are in this world. And you're saying, well, how am I going to address fear? Can I address fear through hiding? You can't address fear through hiding. If you read in Genesis, Adam, he, he hid and he also tried to sow, he also tried to sow himself some leaves to cover up his nakedness. You, you, can't, you, can't, you cannot overcome your fear through your fruitless works, through your dead works, through your, your, your ragings, 
and protestations. You will not overcome fear through your works, through your actions. What, what casts out fear? What overcomes fear? Perfect love. Perfect love casteth out fear. He says, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. If you fear, you're not, you're not mature in your love. We love him because he first loved us. This is the lesson. This is the lesson. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom we have not seen, how can he love God, whom he have not seen? How can you say that you, don't, that, that you love God? You haven't even seen God. But, but you, you hate your brother? You hate your white brother? You hate your brown brother? You hate your black brother? You say that you love God and you hold your Bible up in the air, but you hate your brother? You don't even, you, you know, you know not, you don't even know what love is. You don't know what love is. And this is the commandment that we have of him. This is 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. And this is the command that we have from him. That he who loveth God, love his brother also. That in loving God, we also must love, we must, we must love our brother. What does that mean? Does that mean that... that that I love the person that's next to me, that I love the person that's inside these four walls. No, that means that I have to go out. I got to go out to the marketplace. I, I need to go out beyond my comfort zone to those that don't look like me, to those that come from places where I've never been before, that eat food that I don't even understand. I need to find those that have a need, and I need to give them of that which I have participate and trade in the exchange. So listen, this is, this is the self-examination time. Make a list, just make a list of the people that God has placed in your life to help you to mature. Make a list of the people that God has placed in your life to help you to mature. And then I want you to take a look at that list. Consider it closely. And say, what, what can I do to show honor? To show reverence to those people. What can I do to show honor? To show reverence to those people. Make, make a list of, of the resources that God has given to you. What are the talents that he has placed in your hands? Now listen, I know you're always thinking about money, but what, what has God given to you? I know you're thinking about your, your, your time. What, what, is, what has God given to you? You know, you know how you can know if it's something that God has given to you? If God has given something to you, it cannot be stolen by man. What God has given to you cannot be stolen by man. So listen, 
if you, if you think that God has given you that brother and you're compromising yourself to try to keep him, just know that what God has given to you cannot be stolen by man. If you're saying, well, God gave me this job, that's why I have to work all these hours or they're going to fire me and I won't have this position anymore. Just know that what God has given to you, it can't be taken away by man. But also know that what God has given to you, even though it can't be taken away by man, you can waste it. You can waste what God has given to you. Make a list. Say, God, these are the things that you have truly given to me. Not what I've gloried in in the past. Not what I've prided myself on in the past. But this is what you've given to me. This is what you've placed in my hand to be a faithful steward over. And I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to waste it. Take a look at what God has given to you. He says, how can I use this? How can I use what God has given to me to serve somebody else? To serve another? How can I use what God has given to me to serve another? And when you're thinking about that, just write down in your notes in Matthew 25. Still in Matthew 25. Jesus goes on, he further, he explains the parable so that he can break it down so that they can really, so that they can get it. He says in Matthew 25, verse 40, And the king shall say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Think about what has God given to you to utilize to serve others. And inasmuch as you, 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 you participate in trade, as you clothe the naked, as you feed the hungry, as you visit those that are, that are, that are constrained, that have, that have no freedom of movement, as you put yourself at inconvenience to profit someone else, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, that you've done it unto the king himself. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.